Hey friends, you are listening to episode two of the Crystal Clear podcast, and I'd like to welcome you today. My name is Crystal, and I'm a mom of six, a wife, and a lover of knowledge. Um, That's my favorite thing, is just learning. So today, I'm going to talk to you about a subject that's very common. Um, In fact, I think that everybody has to deal with it and some of us very early in life. So today the topic is loss and the name of the podcast is Loss is Gain. And that's a very interesting point for me um, that having loss is actually a gain. So we're going to talk about that and discuss why that's true. Um, The question that I have for you is have you ever lost somebody that was important to you or have you ever lost something that you specifically did not expect to lose you know um, it's it's still a loss whenever we lose someone that is you know older Um, it's still certainly just as valuable of a loss but there are some losses that we do not anticipate and that are very very surprising and um, not expected. So um, the idea is um, that either God is for us always, that he is on our side all the time, or he's not ever, um, because it can't be part-time. It can't be that God is sometimes watching out for us and sometimes he's not. Um, It's either one or the other. So the scripture says... Um, one of the things that scripture says is that our afflictions are light and that they're temporary and that our, our light and temporary afflictions are gaining for us an eternal weight of glory that will far outweigh them all. And so this is one of the truths that holds me up. The scripture also says that all things are working together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And so it means that bad things are working together for good. I mean, when it says all things are working for good, it doesn't mean that good things are working for good because they're already good, okay? Um, Certainly they're part of the plan, but when the scripture says that all things are working together for good, this means that the bad things in our life, the difficult things, the trials and the afflictions, those things are working together for good. What else could that mean? Because God takes what is not um, positive or life-giving or good and he turns it into good. So I'm going to talk a lot about that idea, that concept that God can turn things that are um, hurtful and he can turn things that are um, wounds into actual good that give you life. So as the story goes, um, for my own life in 2008, um, I had already previously had three daughters and at that time, my children were, my oldest was six and then I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old and I was pregnant in 2008 with my fourth child. So I was pregnant for about four months or four and a half months. And at the time when I was 17 weeks or 18 weeks uh, pregnant, 
I went to go have a ultrasound as they normally do. And I would only do it once during my pregnancies um, because I was going for like more natural childbirth and I didn't want to have ultrasounds all the time, but I would have one ultrasound for the, um, for the gender of the baby. So the first miscarriage, um, I didn't know about it until we went for our 18 week ultrasound and they said that the baby did not have a heartbeat and I had been growing up until that point and I had felt my body growing and then I had even felt some slight movements and so it was really surprising to me for them to say on the ultrasound that the baby did not have a heartbeat and so the first baby's name was Levi and he was born as a home birth after that Um, I did um, most of my children were home birth with a nurse midwife. And so we did the same thing as we did for the other children. We had um, Levi, and he was born on June 18th at home. Then I had two more daughters after that, which made five daughters. And then after I had my next two daughters, then in 2013 I became pregnant again with my seventh pregnancy. And in 2013, the same exact story happened. I was pregnant for 17 weeks. I went for the gender, um, the gender ultrasound and found that the baby was a boy that did not have a heartbeat. And we named that baby Judah. And he was born in June, just like Levi was. So, um, that was 2013. We delivered Judah at a home, another home birth. And we were able to have, you know, a funeral and um, with the family. And, and we would plant a tree and we would say some words and let the children participate. So, it was a nice uh, closure for the family. Um, as opposed to, you know, being in a hospital for me, um, I much preferred having babies at home. So that was 2013. Then I had, um, another pregnancy two years later in 2015. Um, and it was the same story again. I was pregnant for 17 weeks and then I went for the 18 week ultrasound, um, for the gender ultrasound and it was a boy and they said he had no heartbeat. So that made three boys, same exact timing, no heartbeat. And the third baby we named Jordan. And so the first one was Levi. The second one was Judah and the third one was Jordan. And Jordan was actually born, um, on mother's day on May 15th of 2015. So, um, the names that we chose for our children, all the boys and all the girls were a matter of prayer. And we felt like what God gave us is what we named our children. And every name has a specific meaning and purpose. So that was very important to me every time I was pregnant, that I would seek God in prayer and find out what he had to say about the children and then name them according to that. So, um, As a side note, when I was a small child, I knew that, 
like inside of me when I was like seven and eight years old. And most little kids are saying what they want to be when they grow up, you know, like they're thinking they might want to be a police officer or they might want to be a, you know, a, a teacher or they might want to be, um, anything. I don't know (laughs) that when I was a little kid, like I had this feeling in my core that I was going to have six children. And this is when I was very young and that idea did not come from my parents. They never talked about children. Um, they never talked about me being a mother, um, in my future. Like they didn't talk about that. Nobody actually told me that it's just something that was inside of me from the time I was very small. And so at that time, I just thought, you know, that was normal. But then as course, as I grew up, I realized that nobody else was thinking what I was thinking about having six children. And so, um, now I know that that was God telling me and putting that calling inside of me as a young child. And I had no idea how that would play out, but I remember as a little child, like whenever we would go to church and they would talk about the end of days and things like that in the future, I would go home and I would pray my hardest prayers that I ever prayed, like the most earnest prayers that God would let me grow up because I had to have six children and I had to get married. And so I would just pray, pray, pray and ask God to let me grow up and get married and have six children because I felt it so strongly in my body and in my spirit that that that's what I was called to do. So that was just a side note so that you would have a little, a little info on me there. Um, but each time with the miscarriages, the story was the same. And so I would generally have three months of morning sickness, which wasn't just in the morning. It was like all day long. Um, I felt very nauseated all the time and I felt very tired. And so at the 18 week ultrasound each time that I had a miscarriage and there was no heartbeat, it was the same story. And I actually handled it better in the moment of it happening on the ultrasound than the technicians and the workers did. Like they were very, very upset and they were very uncomfortable. And so I, I didn't have like massive reactions in the actual doctor's office, you know? And so each time with a miscarriage, I would deliver my babies at home with a nurse. She was a previous hospital nurse for the labor and delivery of hospitals. And she had worked in hospitals for years and she decided to create a birth center. And so she was a nurse and a midwife and she was super smart and capable and I trusted her wholeheartedly. So she helped me um, with her staff. She had other nurse midwives and they were amazing and they would help me with my other um, pregnancies and deliveries that were viable and I had those with her as well as the miscarriages. So during that time, I wondered why God would allow me to lose babies if he had instructed me to yield my body and my womb to his lordship and have the children that he wanted me to have. That was something specific that God spoke to me as a young mother. Um, when I first started having children, I did not understand that my body was to be submitted to God in the same way that we submit our spirit to God. And 
We listen to what he wants for us in our spiritual walk. Um, God instructed me that it was also his desire that I would submit my womb to what he wanted to give me and have the children that he wanted me to have. And so I did that and I made that choice that I would do that and trust God with my womb. And so I wondered why God would allow me to lose my babies when I made that sacrifice, which was a very, very hard sacrifice and a very big sacrifice on my part. Um, so I would wonder that. And, and when I would pray, I would sense that God was working something out for me. I would pray, I would, I would sense that, that he was working in it. And in the meantime, like it was, you know, like from the first miscarriage to the last one, there was seven years in between. So during that seven years, I realized that the losses removed a lot of pride that I had in my own ability to have children or my own ability to do anything really. And then I also realized that the loss removed self-righteous thinking and really all I had left was God like to, um, you know, to look to. And I realized that the losses gave me compassion for other people and it helped me to understand, um, and relate to people who were suffering as well. So, you know, like authentic understanding only comes from, um, I I should say authority over anything only comes from walking through things ourselves and what we have experienced and what we have lived through gives us authority over that area for other people, like not only for ourselves, but in general, (coughs) excuse me. So um there were some dreams that I had after the last miscarriage. Um the first dream these were some dreams that were indications to me that God was present and he was like <coughs> excuse me that he was um walking right directly with me. So the first dream I had after the last miscarriage, I had prayed for, you know, a couple days and was sad for, you know, a couple days. And I asked God for a, a word or something like to give me something that I could hold on to. And so the first dream that I had, um, I saw three young men in this dream. And it wasn't really like a dream you have that you that you think of as a dream. It was like a very clear visual. Um, it was like a bright living picture, like a movie, like a video being shown to me. And the three young men looked like brothers and they looked like me. And so I knew that they were my sons. They looked to be about 20 years old and they were in a really bright light. Um, They were also standing in a physical place. It wasn't like they were like out in the sky or anything. They were in a physical place. There was ground underneath their feet. There was land behind them. Um, And so I saw these three young men and they were just, you know, beautiful. And so the, the image or the picture that I was seeing, um, 
it kind of zoomed in on each one so that I could see their features and I could see everything about them. And they were <clears throat> they were wearing clothing that was like from a different era, a different place and time, and it wasn't like our culture. And it was more like um, ancient clothing, but it was nothing I've ever seen before. So um, the first sun that I saw in my in my dream, I guess you would call it, um, he was like absolutely stunningly beautiful. He was like mesmerizing, magnetic energy, like he was drawing you to him just with his eyes. And he had charisma and leadership and like it had the feeling, he had the feeling like anybody would follow him anywhere because he was magnetic and he was, um, leadership was just coming out of him. And so that was Levi and all of them, all the boys had long hair and it was golden and they were like amazingly beautiful. Then the second one was Judah and in the dream or the vision, um, his obvious quality, like their gifts were very, very obvious what God made them to be. The second one was Judah and he was the strongest person ever. Like visibly he had enormous muscles. He had like, his neck was very, very wide and he was like a massively strong man. Like he was twice as big as his brothers and his obvious gift was strength from God. And he looked like like a big, strong redwood tree. And he was a warrior, um, a fighter, and a protector. And so I could see, like, all their facial features. I could see their hair. I could see their clothing. I could see anything they had in their hand. Um, So the third son was Jordan. And he was thinner or leaner than his brothers. And he was holding an arrow in his hand that had a silver tip on it. And he was like a precision warrior. He was like a fast runner with arrows and like, um, an archer. And so it reminded me of one of the guys on Lord of the Rings who was, um, who was the guy, I can't remember his name. Maybe it was Legolas. He had arrows and he would run really fast and his eyes could see really far and he could fire at the enemy, his arrows, and he would fight like that because he was really fast and sharp. So that's what Jordan reminded me of. Um, so I could see all their gifts and I could see this bright light all around them. And I immediately had a second dream attached to the first one. So the first one was about the three sons and the second dream directly happened and it was this picture of a mountain and I was climbing the mountain um, by myself and at the top of the mountain was a man and I recognized him as being Jesus and he had a long white robe like he always has when I see him in my dreams Um, and so he was standing at the top of the mountain And the ironic thing was that his face was like super excited and super happy. And this is in the midst of my miscarriage stuff. And so in the second dream of Jesus in the mountain, 
um, I'm climbing up the mountain and it's really hard because there's like debris on the ground. There's leaves and sticks and stuff under my feet. And so it's not easy to climb over that and it's steep and I'm tired and I was tired of climbing and Jesus was watching me. And so after a while, um, he was like, I could see in his face, he was like, come on, come on, come on, come up, come up. I want you to see this. And, and it was taking me a while. So he came down the mountain and he grabbed my hand and he helped me get up, up to the top. And whenever I got to the top, when we got to the top, he showed me on the other side and I saw a green valley and he was smiling so big. His face was so bright with gladness and like excitement for me to see what was on the other side of that mountain that there was an actual feeling in my chest of this incredible like delight and happiness and joy so strong that when I woke up I could feel it in my body and I've never felt it like that before or after so so when I woke up from having those dreams I realized that Jesus was not only watching me go through the difficulty but he was helping me and he was extremely happy about what was on the other side of it. And so I also um, noticed that the grief that I had was all gone. Like I didn't have any more sadness. And people would ask me like, why aren't you sad? And why are you like so normal? And I would, I just didn't feel that weight on me anymore. <clears throat> and this was just days after the last miscarriage that I had. And, and I believe God did that. Because, you know, sometimes people grieve for years, you know, and I just, I felt like it was gone from me. So after that, um, it wasn't like it was like from the first miscarriage to the last one. It wasn't like an overnight, uh, all of it was gone. It was, remember I said it was seven years. So Each time that I lost a baby, I had, you know, to make the choice. Um, And so I would put the truth in front of me and I would start reading the truth. And I would read that God is the author of my life and God is the writer of my story. And I would have peace in my heart that God was not just with me, but that he was actually leading me in the middle of that suffering. And, and I did believe that it would end up somewhere that was good in the end. And so before the first miscarriage ever happened, I had a dream that I believe was from God. Um, I had a dream that I was very pregnant and my belly looked like it was like eight months pregnant. And in my dream, I saw myself have a miscarriage and it felt very real in my dream as if God were preparing me for that. And, um, and then it happened not long after, um, I realized, you know, after the miscarriages happened that I was not in control, um, like I thought I was of like the outcome of really anything. So some of the things that helped me, um, one thing was, is that God was never to me, he was never an abstract idea for me. 
um, God was always a person, Jesus. He wasn't some figment of something I was thinking. He was a real guy. Okay. So this is what I believed. This is what I learned and had studied and had evidence for, but I also had, um, experience with it, like a real person. Jesus kept appearing in my dreams and I kept hearing him speak in dreams and I kept hearing him speak at other times and sensing him near to me. The scripture says that when you walk with God, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And so the scripture tells us that God speaks to us and he does speak in different ways to everybody. He speaks in ways we can understand, but nevertheless, Jesus kept appearing in my dreams and he, and I kept hearing his voice. What I would say is the voice of Jesus, um, because it would always agree with the scripture, the things that I was hearing. And so I kept sensing that he was near to me just as if a man were physically standing right next to me. I felt that physical reality. And the scripture says that God is near to the brokenhearted and he is evidently near, like really near. And you know, God is near when you look to God and you are brokenhearted, you actually can sense that reality. And I have noticed that I sense that more whenever I am going through something that's, you know, suffering. So if we submit our life to God and we submit our will to God, um, the scripture says that he will reveal himself to us and show himself to us. And so another thing that helped me, okay, so the first one was God was not an abstract idea or an ideology. He was a person, a man, Jesus. And so that man kept making himself known to me. The second thing was that helped me that I would tell God what was on my heart and in my thoughts. I would lay my heart down and open before God and I would tell him what I was thinking or feeling. Uh, it's, it's a lot like talking to a counselor, you know, <clears throat> um, you know, the, the Bible says that God is the Holy Spirit is our counselor. And that is absolutely true. So the third thing that helped me was I listened to things that build up my faith. Um, there are certain kinds of music that build up my faith. Um, there are tremendously powerful worship albums that build up my faith. Um, some of them are Elevation Worship. There is Hillsong Worship. There's Carrie Job. There's um, Vu is a church. They have Vu Worship. There's... Um, Maverick City, there's so many different ones that I can think of, but I just listened to some very powerful faith-producing music. So some of the thoughts um, about the miscarriages and the fact that I was, you know, yielding my body and my life to God, um, some of the thoughts about that that I learned and that I just kind of solidified in my thinking and in my, in my experience is that, um, number one, that God is good 
And this is God is good in his nature. Like his essence is goodness. <clears throat> so everything he does is good. Everything he touches turns into good. So you know how like King Midas, there's a story, this fictional story about King Midas and the golden touch. Well, every fiction story. So you know King Midas and the golden touch. Um, it is a fictional story and fictional stories always have truth in them. And so King Midas and the Golden Touch has a truth in it. And it's about God, that God is a king and that everything he does is good. And everything he touches, it turns into good. Okay. And so when we come under God, even though many losses come and they come to everyone, all of us, even though we have many trials and many heartbreaks, when we stay under God, it's like an umbrella. God's name is like a covering umbrella for us, except the scripture says that his name is a strong tower. His name, God's name, his name is Jesus. His name is Yahweh. His name, when we come under that name, which means we're covered by his name because we're submitted to it, um, when we do that, Scripture says that God's name over us is a strong tower and the righteous, that, that's those who are under God, they run into it, they run into the strong tower of God's name and they are safe. And so God has this capability, it's his golden touch, that he turns all the bad into good. He, Jesus turned water into wine in the scriptures. Jesus went to a wedding in Cana. And they ran out of wine. And so he went to the large vats of water and he turned them into wine. That was the first miracle that he ever did. But if Jesus can turn water into wine, which is a completely different thing, then he can turn also bad into good. I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, Romans 8 says that our present sufferings are not even compared to the glory or the light that will be revealed in us. So our sufferings are producing in us a kind of light that is ours. We become it. We are that light. Um, it is us. And so the sufferings that we go through are producing that light in us. And, and that's an incredible, incredible concept. Um, God is not distant from you. He is not like your earthly father. He is not unprepared. Um, he is not neglectful. He doesn't forget about you. He's actually for you. He's on your side. He's not against you. Um, in the trial of our problems, and it feels like a fire of adversity, um, that's when our true faith is found that's when our true faith is made and it's forged like the iron that is forged in the fire of a silversmith or a blacksmith in the old days how they would take their tools and they would put the the metal in the fire and they would soften it and they would shape it and they would hammer it and that's what the images that I see of the belief and the faith that we have that the hotter the fire gets and the more the hammer comes down, we are like that piece of steel 
that is the precious, precious treasure, our faith, our belief in God. It gets stronger and stronger and more and more firm. And it is a priceless, priceless treasure to God. That when we go through um, great difficulty, that our belief in him actually gets stronger. So some of the words that um, we can say to ourselves and some of the words that I would say and think of whenever I was going through the seven years of loss is things like, I trust you, God. Um, You do not fail me. Your word is true and you watch over your word to perform it. And if God's word is in me and he is watching over it, then he is going to perform it and he is going to do what he said he would do. Um, I trust who you are. I believe, God, that your truth is greater than my feelings and your truth is greater than my circumstance. I believe that truth prevails over everything. If God cares for the flowers which are here today and gone tomorrow, if he cares for the sparrow, um, how much more does he care for me? How much more does he care for you? So God always gives me what is his best. So that doesn't always look like in my circumstance that I'm getting the best thing. Like in my opinion, it's not best, you know, to suffer. Um, but, but the scripture says that God gives me his best. So sometimes the idea is that medicine is bitter. Um, sometimes healthy food doesn't taste as good as bad food does, you know? So I'm not saying here that God causes the loss that we have because I don't believe that God is the author of stealing life away from us. I don't believe that God is is the author of destruction. I believe that the enemy is the author of destruction and people also um, produce destruction and people steal and the enemy of God steals. Um, But God is not the author of that. Nonetheless, what comes to me, everything that comes to me must first pass through the allowance of God. It must pass by him before it comes to me. So this makes me think of Job. Just like Job, the man in the scripture who the Bible says was the most righteous man in his generation, Satan went to God and he asked God to sift Job like wheat because he was a good man, because he was a godly man. And God allowed Satan to do that. He allowed Satan to test Job. And Job, because of this, because he was allowed to, Job lost everything he had. He lost his fortune. He lost his land. He lost his home. He lost his servants, all the workers he had. He was the wealthiest man in Asia and in the Middle East. He had more than anyone. But the worst thing was he lost his own family. He had 10 children. And the scripture says that he lost everything he had. And it was pretty much all at the same time. So in the end of Job's story, after he had been refined through his suffering, and he was tested, and he turned out to be like gold, God returned to him a double measure of everything that he had lost. But in eternity, Job had even more than what he had in life, but he also had more than what he would have had if he hadn't lost anything at all. And 
in eternity, it's such a different concept and it's such a different story because this life right now is not the main story. Like this is just like the, uh, the pre story in the book, like the introduction, um, maybe the first page of chapter one in a very long book that God has written because the scripture says that this is just the pregame show. Like we have to be able to see farther than right now with the understanding that this life that we are living right now is just preparing us for the real life that is coming. The real life is ahead of us. This is the education. This is the preparation. This is where we gain our character. This is where we get refined this life right now. So our goal in this life should not be what every, you know, what all the, the ideologies in the world say, which is live for yourself and do what you want and have as much pleasure as you can. That is not what we should actually be doing. We should not, we should be doing the opposite and thinking the opposite that this life is our training ground for the real life that is coming. This life is the only place that we have to learn and gain what God has for us to learn and gain. And that often means that we will lose some things. That often means that we will have to um, suffer in some kind of way uh, in order to learn some things that we have to learn. Of course, there are plenty of good times. There are plenty of blessings. There are plenty of, um, plenty of, of good gifts that God gives us. And, and that's not the topic that I'm talking about right now. Right now I'm talking about when we suffer, I'm talking about when we have pain and when we have loss. So eternally speaking of God's way and in God's kingdom is a different concept. It's like a flip. If you flip, flip most people's thinking, flip it the other way, like a coin. God's way says things like the last will be first. So right now, the people who are last, the people who are seen of as being at the bottom, the people who are looked down upon, they will be first. Okay. So everything gets flipped. The script is totally flipped in heaven. Those who are the servant here or the slave will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, then you put yourself at the lowest place. You serve, you do the hard work. You do the things that other people won't do. You know, you lay down your life. You don't put yourself at the top. You don't put yourself in the place of honor. You put yourself last. If you want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, um, you follow the example of Jesus and you lay down your life and you sacrifice it for the people. The world doesn't tell us that. The world says, put yourself at the top, make yourself honored, make yourself look good, make yourself famous, make yourself important, um, to be successful, look good, be on the cover of magazines, you know? Um, but Jesus said that those people will actually be the least later because he flips everything that is right now. So whenever people say, you know, it's bad to suffer or whatever, um, God's way is that loss becomes your gain, just like putting yourself last will make you first. So every loss that we have right now becomes a gain in the future. Um, Every sorrow 
is a future joy. I saw that in my dream. I saw that my sorrow was a future joy that was so great that it was all over the face of Jesus. Every pain that we have right now is a future pleasure. And I'm not saying like, hey, let's uh, let's all just enjoy uh, hurting because um, nobody wants to do that. What I'm saying is that's a that is a consolation to me that every pain that I have right now, every tear that I have in this life um, is actually returned to me as laughter. It is returned to me as pleasure. And every wound that we endure in this life is restoration and healing. So it, it doesn't just come out even in God's economy in our future lives with God. It doesn't just come out even. Okay. It's not like God says, here, let me fix that for you. No, it actually comes out to where it puts you ahead. Like you have a gain. That's why we say loss is gain because we don't come out neutral. We don't come out even we come out ahead. It's as if you made an investment in something and you actually had your money multiplied. That's what's happening with every sorrow that we have. It is a future multiplication of our joy. Okay. So we have to let loss transform us with a surrendered heart. We have to renew our mind in the scripture because the scripture is living, living words that penetrate our hearts and they change us and they transform us. We have to let whatever we're going through, we have to let it produce in us a surrender to God and a trust in God. And it will refine our faith and our belief. It'll refine our heart and it will produce in us something that cannot be duplicated anywhere in the world. Um, it is something that is so valuable. And I just want to encourage you that if you are in a place of suffering, if you are <clears throat> in a place of suffering, that God sees you, that you're not alone, just like my dream, that God will help you. And the scripture says that if you call upon him, that he will not only meet you where you are, but he will uphold you and he will strengthen you with his mighty hand. So I am very thankful to be sharing this with you. And I hope that this helps you. I hope that it encourages you because if I can go through that and God can take away my grief and sorrow, I know that he can do the same for you. Until next time, I'll see you soon and um, God bless.